Good morning, everybody. Goodbye, teens. I'm not taking that personally. You know, uh, if you've been with us for uh, the last several weeks, we've been kind of studying out the book and preaching from the book of uh, the book of Luke. And uh, we got up to the point where John the Baptist was uh, preaching in the desert, and uh, he was uh, preaching a baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. And, and so in the campus ministry, that brought out a lot of stuff what people were studying the Bible with. And, uh, you know, this, this really, this, this, this doctrine, this teaching on baptism that John was doing, and he said, the one coming is going to give you the Holy Spirit. So what I wanted to do was I wanted to take a little stop here and really look at the Bible and a few examples in the Bible of what uh, God is talking about, why God requires everyone to obediently and faithfully respond to being baptized into Christ. If you, you know, there are a lot of churches that believe in baptizing, but not for the forgiveness of sins. They, they believe it is a command of God, but not, not involved or not associated with washing away or cleansing your sins to have salvation. They they say it's, it's, it's you should do it, you ought to do it, but it's not really necessary. Yet it's commanded for all Christians to be baptized as followers of Jesus. So in, in Romans 15, I'm not sure what my first slide is, Lynn, if you can just click it. Um, okay, maybe go back one then. Romans 15, uh, verse 4, it says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance, and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. You know, you come across people that, you know, you want to teach them what you see in the Bible, but they don't, uh, they, they have another teaching. And so what you have to stop and look at is now i got to look at the Bible. Right. Is, is what I believe truly the, the correct uh, doctrine of what God is teaching? What, what do I believe? Is it true? Because a lot of times you, re you read your Bible... And you can read it without, you can read it out of context, you can read it with, you know, with, with a slant to it, but you've got to really read it uh, in the right context and format. So the scriptures teach us the examples in the Old Testament to help us when our faith is weak. We need to lean on the, the past lessons learned so that we can have hope. And some of the writings are the examples of the Old Testament, which I'm going to go over today. And so we can learn so much from the Old Testament. And so John was one of the last Old Testament prophets. He kind of closes the chapter there. In John chapter 5, verse 39, Jesus says this to the teachers of the law, the men who knew the Bible, the men who studied it. He says to them, he goes, hey, you diligently study the scriptures because you think by possessing, by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. You know, Jesus states to the teachers of the Old Testament that the Old Testament testifies about Jesus. Right. And the Old Testament is pointing to the Messiah, to Jesus. And the scriptures point us that salvation was not just for the Jews, but was for all of mankind. So let's define some words. We're going to define these words as a type. You might see this, uh, you know, in, in, in literature today. A type is a person or a thing regarded as the symbol or uh, as the symbol of someone or something 
that is yet to appear. Okay? The second definition is the antitype, which that which corresponds or foreshadows to that type. For example, Jerusalem is a type. The city, ancient holy city of Jerusalem, the antitype is heaven. The holy Jerusalem revelations. Type, antitype. Old Testament, New Testament. Okay? It's connecting. Let's look in your Bibles now. I think I might have it on the screen, the next screen here. Let's look at a few more examples. Old Testament types and New Testament antitypes. Slavery in Egypt, when they were slaves uh, under the Pharaoh. Uh, the, the, the type, that's the type. The antitype is they were lost and they were slaves to sin. New Testament. Uh, they were wandering in the desert for uh, 40 years. The antitype is saved but living a life of a disciple. Sometimes it's like you're in the wilderness. Amen? The Old Testament type is entering the promised land. They physically went to a promised land that was foretold by God. The New Testament antitype is entering heaven. Can you see the type? Antitype. Old Testament, New Testament. Connecting the Bible together. Okay? Next slide, please. So Romans 15 verse 4. For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's a good thing. Okay? Next scripture. John 5, verse 39, what I quoted earlier. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by, by, by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me, yet you refuse to come to me to have life. This is Jesus t- telling the teachers. Next slide. Amen. Okay, go back a slide. <laughs> okay. Is that all, that's all, that's all, that's all on there? Okay. Um, let's go to 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. Peter is writing here. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to Hades, putting them, or, uh, or to Taurus, or hell, whatever you want to put there, putting them into the gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, he did not spare the ancient world when he brought the flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others. Got it? Okay. So here we have a scripture that talks about a type, something in the, in the past. It was the flood. And the antitype, it was a judgment back then. God judged the earth and found men's hearts to be inclined for evil, and so he judged it. And so he bought a, bought a flood. In the New Testament antitype, it is the judgment of our souls. Judgment day. The silver lining in this particular type, in the Old Testament, the flood, is that the flood account is really clearing the way of sinful men on earth, and only a few are saved through water, as Peter later says. Noah and his family were saved from the flood by their faith and by obedience to God's command. They they listened to Noah. He was instructed to build an ark. They obeyed. They were faithful. In the same way, the second judgment, only a few will be saved as well. This time through the water of baptism. Okay? 
looking out. I think I have the next slide. Go to the next slide. Here's a picture of Noah's flood. There's the ark. Next slide, please. Okay, go back one slide. In 1 Peter chapter 3, I want you to turn there with me. Just go a few pages backwards to 1 Peter chapter 3 and look at a scripture. That kind of that is, the, is the antitype to the Old Testament type of the flood. Peter addresses it. He draws an example from the Old Testament to bring reality to the new. Uh, a foreshadow in the past to a reality today. 1 Peter 3, it says in verse 20, God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, in the ark, only a few people, eight and all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to Him. As Jesus was raised from the dead, so Noah and his family were raised above the waters and saved through their faithful obedience to God. Right. You have a flood. And why was that flood there? Why would God do that? One, it was a judgment. But two, it was a foreshadow of the judgment to come. How do you escape the judgment? They were saved, ironically, by the water. It, rose, it lifted them up. And the reality today is that that same water is the resurrection of Jesus. It's not the water per se that's magical. It's the faithful obedience of dying to yourself, being buried with Jesus, and being risen to a new life. In water. But in mainstream Christianity, they want to do away with that. They want you just to believe. And that's a part of the process. But believing and repentance go together. It's not just believing and not repenting. Okay? So in Romans 15, again, it's it's not up there. Romans 15 says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. Okay, there's one example. Noah's flood. Peter refers to the flood and talks about how that washes away and saves us of our sins. It saves our souls. Let's look at another example. Look in your Bibles or look on the screen in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. This is Paul writing to the church. And he cites another Old Testament event that was incredible. Just like Noah's flood was incredible, this event was incredible. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. He is referring to the crossing of the Red Sea of God's people going out of slavery into, the, into a new land. But they have to cross the sea. And, and God tells Moses to go here and he puts them in a place where the only place they can go is through the water. Because God is leading them. And he leads them to the water. It wasn't Moses that led them there. It was God that led them there. And they're stuck. And here comes the armies of Pharaoh marching down on them. You know, kind of like your sin is always marching down on you. Ready to enslave you again. Ready to bring you back into slavery. And Moses strikes the water, lifts his hands over the water. And we see this. 
And we see them passing through the sea. Being saved by the sea. And as they pass through, the water washes away their slave masters. It washes away their their captors. It washes away, in the New Testament, our sins. It washes it away. Why would that be in the Bible? Why is it even there? Why was the flood there? To show us what God's intentions and plan was from the very beginning. He didn't just all of a sudden think about being baptized. It was his plan from the very start. And Paul says, I don't want you to be ignorant, brothers. God doesn't want you to be ignorant that these events happen for a reason, to teach you. Amen. So you will not grow weary. When someone says, you don't have to be baptized, then what is that? Saved. What was the flood? Saved. Yes, you need to be faithful and obedient. That's a part of the process. But to walk, through the, to walk literally through the walls of water. I don't know about you. That, it, takes, it takes a little bit of, of guts and some faith there. Yeah. That, you know, it doesn't fall on you. Amen. And they're walking through the water. Baptized into Moses. Who Moses was another prefigure or foreshadow of, of Jesus. Yeah. Moses was a lawgiver. Jesus was the lawgiver. Right? Yeah. Moses was the most humble man on earth. Jesus is pretty humble too. Okay? A lot of, lot of connections there. Okay? Israel was in slavery to Egypt. This was no accident. This was not. This was a design of God. And there's a pattern here. There's a pattern in the Bible of the flood, of the crossing of the Red Sea. These are major, major events in history. There's a pattern. When God's people are saved, there's a recurring tendency for it to involve water. Hmm. You know, after these events, after they go into the the desert of wandering, God has them set up a worship center. God needs to be worshipped. God wants to dwell with His people. And so God has them and instructs them to build a physical tabernacle, which means a dwelling place of God. Let me go to the next slide here, see if I could... Give you a scripture here. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishing exactly like the pattern I will show you. God is very specific. We're going to build this dwelling place. It has to be exactly the what He says. Right. Amen. So he wants specifics. Okay. Next slide, please. So here is the a structure of what's called the tabernacle. It had a tent around it. And the first thing you kind of see in the, in the, uh, in the uh, uh, tabernacle is the altar. They're, they're, they're sacrificing animals, goats, and bulls. And then there's a laver, which the priests go to. Okay, And I'm going to talk about those two things specifically in this lesson. I'm not going to go into all the things inside. That's another lesson. I want, just want to focus this lesson on the power and the faithfulness and the obedience it took for one to be saved and rescued in the Old Testament is the same it takes in the New Testament. Okay? Amen. So I wanted to, first, what I found interesting in this is that the word tabernacle is used in the New Testament because this is a dwelling place of God. Look at the next slide, please. In John 1, verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh 
and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace. We know that to be Jesus. The word dwelling among us in the Greek literally means he tabernacled among us. God was dwelling. He was tabernacling in the Old Testament where God dwelled physically in a cloud. Jesus was tabernacling with us in the New Testament. It's the, it's, the, it's, the ant, it's the type and the antitype. It's the old and the new. It's a foreshadow to reality. So this is, again, it's to give you hope, to give you endurance, to give you conviction, to know your Bibles, to know what the Word of God teaches, Amen. to know what it says. Now the question is, if, if what other Christian churches teach, you should find it in the Old Testament too. You should find that if you want to accept Jesus into your heart alone, stand alone on that, on that teaching, then you must find it in the Bible too. You have to find it in the old, and you've got to show it in the new. Now, accepting Jesus, just that principle alone, is a part of the process. But it's not the end of the process. It's actually the beginning of the process. To believe in Jesus is a big part of you becoming a Christian. You have to believe in Jesus, amen? You just can't go, I believe in nothing, baptize me. You can't do that. You cannot do that. We can't go to the Ventura County Pier and push people off in the water, jump in, and then punch them in the water, plunge them out, and hug them. And saying, I just baptized you. They're going to be angry, right? They're going to be upset. They need to believe in Jesus. That's the beginning of the process. So that's, what I'm, that's a given based on what I'm teaching you today. It's you believe. You understand. I, I want to know God. But I want to get right with God. That's the question we're trying to answer. I want to get right with God. Okay? That's why these things are here. So God... Uh, states this exact pattern, right? And the purpose for this building of the tabernacle was that so God could dwell among His people without seeing Him directly because if you saw God face to face, you would die. So the Jews were not allowed, if you go back one slide, the Jews were not allowed in here, not allowed into the courtyard, only the, the Levitical priests who were, who were ordained by God to go in there and do a perform ceremonial rituals for God's people. So it wasn't for everybody. Okay? Even among the Levites, there was a designated priest who was allowed into the holy place to perform a ceremony. The holy place is where the Ark of the Covenant would be. There's an altar of incense in there. There's a candlestick and there's a table with bread that's fresh. Right? And those are different foreshadows of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and your prayers being in the same room with God. Okay? So the setup of the tabernacle in the Old Testament tells us that only a person who is free from sin can enter into the presence of God. That was the setup. You couldn't go in the presence of God and have sin. You had to be free of sin. Okay, that was a big part. You walk in that room without being free of sin, you're dead. Only the high priest could enter that presence of God behind that curtain. Only once a year to put blood of the goats and bulls on it. Which is interesting. So let's look at this tabernacle a little more closely. So you go into the, into the courtyard, and the first thing you see is this bronze altar. And it's, it's a constant reminder for the Jewish people that there needed to be a sacrifice. There had to be a, an atonement, a sacrifice for sins. When Mary and Joseph brought Jesus to be, to be dedicated... What did they do? They brought a pigeon and doves. Remember? They had a, they, even they still had to do it. 
There had to be a sacrifice of atonement. Look in your Bibles in Hebrews chapter 9. I want to give you a, a, a little New Testament teaching on, on, about this tabernacle, about this dwelling place of God, and why it's so important, because this is the pattern for someone to get into the presence of God. This is how they did it in the Old Testament, so we should see a, an antitype in the New Testament. If it's in the old, it'll be in the new. There's a connection. So in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 11, it reads, When Christ came as high priest of the good things that are already here, He went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. That is to say, not part of this creation. He did not enter by means of blood and goats and calves, but He entered the most holy place once for all by His own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of a heifer sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they are outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God? You know, he entered this place, these, these priests would enter, and there had to have been some blood spilt. There had to have been an offering, a cutting. And the blood of goats and the ashes of heifers sprinkled on those who were unclean. A sacrifice for sins was required to have fellowship with God. And the Hebrew writer says, Jesus was the once and for all sacrifice. Go to the next slide. Next slide, please. So here is, here is this, here is in, in Hebrews 9.23. It was necessary then for the copies of heavenly things to be purified with these sacrifices. But the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. You know, this is a very... Very interesting type. In order to go into the presence of God, there needed to be a sacrifice. Reminds you of Romans 12, 1, and you know, as a Christian, you know, you got to keep offering yourself as a living sacrifice by your worship, right? Yeah. Hebrews 9 says there needed to be a sacrifice. Jesus was that sacrifice yeah. once and for all. Next slide, please. Here's the altar. That's what it looks like. It was about, you know, I think it was seven feet high or seven feet, point five feet long and wide. It was a big altar. Okay, next slide, please. Again, as you're, as you're approaching the holy place where God resides behind a special curtain, these are things that were required to enter his presence. Even the common Israelite could not walk in there. It was a priest. Now, that's another foreshadow. They're the priests, right? They're in the presence of God. First, Tim, First Peter 2 says, we are the royal priesthood. There are so many, there are so many types to antitypes in the Bible. I mean, I can go on and on and on and on, but I just want to focus ourselves on how someone has a relationship with God. Your sins must be washed away, and there has to be a sacrifice. So what's the second thing? The priests have to go. What's the next phase? Because remember, it was the exact pattern they had to be followed. So there was a sacrifice of sins in the altar. The next thing was a, was a laver. 
a bronze laver. It was huge. It held, it held 15,000 gallons of water. It was massive. And in the inner court, in Exodus 30, go to the next slide for me. Next slide. Whenever they enter the tent of meeting, that was what they called the tabernacle, they shall wash with water. Well, what if you forget? What if you, what if you just walk right by and die? I wasn't, I wasn't paying attention. You're dead. A sacrifice, and then there had to be a cleansing with water just to enter the presence of God. Just to, you had to do it every time. If you want to go see God as your priest, you had to have a sacrifice and you had to wash up and then you can enter because you had to be clean because God will not be around sin. If you forget, you're dead. That's how serious it is. It wasn't this flipping thing, oh, I just get baptized. No, it was a serious thing. Oh, I just get washed up with water. They washed their hands and their feet. They had to be clean. So when Peter says, hey, in Noah's day, that judgment, it's a reality. This water saves you. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus. That's why there needed to be a sacrifice once and for all. That's why we don't have to keep, keep offering bulls and goats. Because Jesus was the sacrifice. Amen. So we want to go into the presence of God. Jesus did it. We have to believe. Okay, it's there. It's done for us. Now the second phase is, I got I to gotta get myself clean. I got to wash myself away it's not the removal of dirt from your arms it's not a ceremony it removes the sin in your life Amen. that's the cool part about the study look in first peter chapter three i think i have a slide here's a slide remember god waited patiently in the days of noah while the ark was being built in it only a few people eight and all were saved through water and this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but of a pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you. Baptism, it saves you. That's the pronoun. By the resurrection of Jesus. Amen. There it is. Plain, and Peter is telling you this. And people want to deny this. People want to fight against this. This was, the, this was a, a, a teaching for many, many, many hundreds and thousands of years. And it changed. Changed in America. Changed in the 1700s. This one, this one fell away. This was slowly now being replaced by just have an emotional experience and believe God. Called the Great Awakening. There were two of them. Just believe. Just believe and ask God to come into your heart. That's all you need. But it's not what the scriptures teach us. It's not what the Bible teaches. Amen. This is from the ancient days of the Old Testament. Saying, here's the flood. Here's the Red Sea. I'll show you another one. Look in your Bibles. In 2 Kings chapter 5. There are many foreshadows. Many. Not just about baptism, but about, you know, Jesus and the prefigures and all that all the people that we have as leaders in the Old Testament were foreshadows of the New Testament reality of Jesus. Amen. In 2 Kings, there's this commander. He's not even a Jew. He's a Gentile. He's a Syrian commander. And he has leprosy. Oh, yeah. 
It was a physical ailment, but it's also a spiritual ailment, right? Old, foreshadowed, and new. And in the, and in the, in the Old Testament, you had leprosy, you were an outcast, and this guy was the commander and had it. And so in, first, in 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 9, let's read together. And he has this, and he has this, and they, and they captured this Israelite slave girl who became their, like their housekeeper slave. And she really cares about the commander. And she says, hey, you should go to see the prophet Elijah. He's a man of God. He can heal you. And so he goes, okay, I'll go over and see him. So he goes and knocks on the door, has this guy knock on the door of Elisha. Elisha doesn't even come to the door, sends his other guy, and says to him in verse 9, so, so Naaman, with his horses and chariots, stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elijah sent a messenger to say to him, Go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, and your flesh will be restored, and you will be cleansed. Amen. But Naaman, in verse 11, went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me, stand, and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. <clears throat> Naaman's attitude is similar to many attitudes today. Yeah. I just want to go to church and get saved. Yeah. Save me. I believe, save me. Yeah. And church is accommodating. Elijah says, go dip yourself. He goes, What? Go dip my, go immerse myself in the Jordan. He was irritated. Because he had to be obedient and he had to be faithful. He didn't want that. He just wanted to razzle dazzle. Put your hand over it. Say a little prayer. Play a little music. Come to the altar. Everyone gets saved today. Obedient. Go dip yourself. He was offended. You know, when you teach people what the, what the Bible says, sometimes they get offended. That's not what I was knew. That's not what I was taught growing up. Well, be grateful. It wasn't what I was taught either. If you're hoping and humble, you'll learn something awesome about God historically. But if you want to hold on to your pride, you're never gonna you're never even gonna remotely agree with this. No matter how much we show you. No matter how much the Old Testament, the Red Sea and the flood and name, why is this in the Bible? Why is this highlighted in the Bible? Amen. Why? why would it be? Yeah. To show us, again, go dip yourself. Because guess who else was dipping people in the Jordan later on? John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Right? It's all connected. Here's a Gentile. And then in verse 13, his servant says to him, uh, you know, tells him and says, you know, uh, Naaman's servant went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him, and his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Amen. He believed in God. He believed in Elijah. He faithfully obeyed them went into the water and dipped himself. Amen. It takes faith. It takes obedience to get yourself right with God. Yeah. He immersed himself in the river. 
It reminds me of what Peter said in the next slide, in Acts 2, verse 38. It reminds us of what Peter said. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. Amen. And in part two, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The exact pattern was established in the old and fulfilled in the new. It is the pattern. It is there. Historical, massive events took place. The crossing of the Red Sea, the, the flood or the deluge, Amen. is, is an Old Testament type of the New Testament reality. Anti-type. So let's recap a little bit here. A type. It's a person or thing regarded as the symbol of someone or something that is yet to appear. An antitype is that which corresponds to or is foreshadowed in that particular type. Noah's flood, saved by water. Baptism, saved by water. Crossing of the Red Sea, saved by water. Baptism in the New Testament, saved by water. The tabernacle, the dwelling place of God. The laver, the priest needed to be washed to enter the presence of God. Naaman. Immersed himself in the Jordan to be cleansed from leprosy. She said, Master, how much more if he asked you to just go wash and be cleansed? Wouldn't you do it if he asked you to do something great? And when Paul, the Pharisee of Pharisees, was telling his conversion story, was reciting his conversion to Christianity, look what he says. Next slide. When Ananias tells him, and now what are you waiting for? This is what he's saying. Ananias told me, and what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, washing your sins away, calling on his name. Amen. There's Paul telling you his conversion. Plain, simple. He had to be obedient and faithful. You certainly have to believe in Jesus or else this doesn't work at all. So you're studying the Bible with us this morning. What are you waiting for? What more proof do you need? Christians who are struggling. Man, I hope you understand this. This is to give you endurance, yeah. perseverance, yeah. hope. Yeah. Like, hey, you made the right decision. Because yeah. you wake up sometimes going, am I, am I, am I, am I, am I, you know, you have those little am I's. I want to make sure, I've been doing this 18 years, I want to make sure it's pretty yeah. solid here. Right. It's true. Rest assured, it's solid. Amen. Rest assured, if you repented and were baptized in the name of Jesus, but you also got to produce fruit and keep it with your repentance. Amen. Remember, you just can't go, off. Oh, I was baptized, we're to go to church. No, that's not. Yes, we come to church but we produce fruit in keeping with our repentance. Right. As we continue to repent, God continues to forgive our sins. Right. Amen. That's how you get cleansed after baptism. It's a continuing repentance process. I'm changing. I'm confessing to God. God is, God is forgiving me. I'm, I'm getting open with the brotherhood. And it is a continual life of wilderness in the desert, so to speak. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're saved, but you're still in the wilderness. Right. And you're waiting to go to the promised land, which is heaven. Amen. That's why I want to encourage you. we got to make it to the end. 
You got to be faithful to the end. 40 years. Amen. Right? 40 years in the desert, 40 years as a Christian. Sometimes they go, they go early, like our brother Steve May. But what a way to go out. You baptize your daughter on the way out. What a way to go. What a way to go. Early departure. I'm sure he's not struggling in, in where he's at right now. He's probably having a great time. But, you know, his children are, are excited. Disciples. Let this encourage your faith. But let's, let's also teach others. Help others to become true disciples of Jesus. Thank you for your time this morning. Love you guys.